I was this little boy hearing this song. I was from a completely different culture or background from this, where this music came from. Something in me responded to it. I understood the, the emotion of the song was communicated to me. And I understood it, even though what, is, what does a you know, four or five-year-old kid know about anything? And now it's time to play it back. The show where we talk about the songs we love, hate, and appreciate. I'm Gia Jung. And I'm John Asante. Hi, John. Hey, Gia. How's it going? I'm good. We can't complain. We're here in Stish Studios again, as fortune has it. (laughs) And I want to ask you, are you ready to play it back today or what? Yeah, let's do it. How far back? Play it way back. Way back. Like like, to the beginning of time. To the beginning of time. (laughs) Of our times. (laughs) Of our time. So I'm thinking we do all these shows about people and their musical memories, but rarely have we talked about, or if ever, our very earliest music memories like from birth or childhood like early childhood are you talking just the very earliest memories that are so early maybe that they are more like the life influences that made us appreciate a certain vibe Mm -hmm. or like a flavor of music you know Ah. so it's like the chicken and the egg and you don't know what came first if you were just attuned to that type of music or maybe it shaped you and made you like it when you were still an infant or a toddler what do you think about that? No, I like that. It's kind of mind-blowing. <laughs> All right. So what yeah. do you got? What's your, what's your earliest memory? What's like the thing that you can remember the, the best? I thought about this. At first, I was like, oh, there are these uh, Korean songs and nursery rhyme songs in English that my mom would alternate to keep me from crying or to entertain me. But then I thought, no, it, it's actually even before that. And I think I was almost an infant, as early back as you can go and still kind of believe someone would have memories. But... PBS used to have a show called Mystery, or it still does, and it's hosted by Alan Cummings now, but they had this intro music with this creepy piano beat, and um, it would be like, do, 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 do. And they'd have these sound effects of thunder crashing, and the best part was... um, it went together with visuals of this guy named Edward Gorey's sketch animations, and he does these macabre renditions, like he'll turn tassels of couches into monsters, Uh. or he'll illustrate the alphabet with each letter showing how someone can meet their demise, but illustrate (laughs) it in a really, like, quirky, you know, fun way. That's weird. Yeah, and, and because of that, though, I'm always drawn to the kind of more spooky songs and mm-hmm. Halloween in general, anything having to do with the macabre. <laughs> and I really do think it was it was that piece. But my mom said um, when that would come on, it wouldn't matter where I was. I would just come running from wherever I was at in my diapers and just run towards the TV because it was very Pavlovian. I loved that theme by Norman Roger, by the way. I finally found it in a... In, nested in a YouTube post of the theme. Nice. <laughs> so, so mine isn't as dark, I will say, but <laughs> my one of my earliest memories, music memories, is also from PBS. Now, like many huh. kids growing up over the last, I don't know how many decades, I love me some Sesame Street. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily like 
the characters like Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch that I necessarily specifically remember, even though they sung a bunch of songs. It was literally this one interstitial part that I couldn't remember. Um, so I actually typed in today, I typed into to Google and said Sesame Street and Pinball Machine. There you and go. And it popped up and I did some searching and there's a segment. It was always this interstitial for like a like a minute in between segments called the pinball number countdown. And it was made in like the mid-1970s, and it was used to help kids count from 1 to 12. But the thing that was really particular about it that like really stuck out in my mind is that it was all done to the tune of funk music. And like really, really good funk music. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, And I didn't know who the ladies who were sung it, who, who sung the uh, song, but it was I found out later it was the Pointer Sisters, which yeah. I think makes it even more amazing. Wow. And it was just kind of off kilter. Everything looked very much like trippy. It looked like a, it literally looked like an acid trip for kids. Trippy for sure. When yeah. you showed it to me, I, I was like, maybe I repressed this yeah. memory. It's almost not for children's S- eyes. Super weird, no, like just... bats and clowns and stuff, and they're just counting like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and they just and a huge clown mouth with a pinball coming out of it. Oh, and yeah. pinging here and there. It's weird, but I feel like it really got me into music that was really danceable that because maybe I was just dancing around in my diaper or something like that. I have no idea. Uh, but I'm, I know my mom always said that I, my eyes were glued to the TV watching Sesame Street growing up. And that, for some reason, just that little part, like, made a lot, like, a big difference in my life. Just always, far out and trippy. Yeah. Perfect for kids. <laughs> totally. But now get ready for a real trip because our next guest is about to transport us to his childhood when he heard a song in a faraway place and was never the same again. I'm Benjamin Dimanil, music producer. We're sitting on the floor of my production studio on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I have worked on various different kinds of music, but my specialty is bachata. It's a style of music from the Latin Caribbean, and it sounds like a little bit like a cross of reggae and salsa. So music is a huge part of your life. And we're here to talk about a song that's been significant to you. When you asked me that question, it made me think, I don't know if you asked it this way, but I, I was trying to think about one of the earliest songs that I remember, that I remember falling in love with. So that song is called Yellow Bird. I heard it played by just a small band with a steel drum in Jamaica, I think. first version was one that you heard live? Yeah. I was at a hotel on vacation with my parents, just a, a young kid. How old are you? I have vague memories of my first trip there, uh, maybe three years old, something like that. Wow. I don't actually remember necessarily the first performance. I remember it being a song that was always being played because we went a number of times and it, it's one of those songs that they play at hotels for tourists. But it's also just a beautiful folk song and captured a, a certain sentimentality and, and sound of the uh, of Jamaica and of the Caribbean. It's originally a Haitian song. And now you have an album about to come out. You've been producing a lot of music in the Dominican Republic. 
and you have a school there. I'll just let you talk about um, however much you want to. But as I hear this, I'm thinking, do you think there was ever a little seed planted in your head by that style of music and the experience? There definitely, definitely was a seed planted. I mean, from as long as I can remember, I had a love affair, you could say, with the, the Caribbean. In my childhood, and those were some of my happiest memories were when I was there. It was like this magical land that I would get to visit sometimes for briefly and, and then have to return to New York and to school. Oh, boy. <laughs> but uh, something about the music, it was very different from the music that I was around mostly as a child, whether it was uh, you know, the church hymns, or the pop music from the 80s. and. Did you like any of the pop music, though? Any favorites? Um, you know, I did. In a kind of, I, I did like a little bit. Just, you know, it was on the airwaves. It was catchy. There is one that I remember that I particularly fell in love with by the Kinks called Come Dancing. Come Dancing. Coincidentally, it's a song that has a very calypso sound to it. It's borrowing a lot of elements from Caribbean music, so it made sense that I liked it. So every time you would go to Jamaica or the Caribbean and then come back home, how would you access the music again once you started figuring out that you know you had a real passion for it? Well, when I was a kid, I didn't. I, I could. I could not access. I didn't have any recordings of this music. I would sing it and just remember it, but I had no access to it. It was only when I was there that I could hear it. When did you encounter this type of music again outside the element of traveling with your family? I think when I was a teenager, I uh, started listening to Bob Marley. That was my first return, I would say, to Caribbean music. But reggae, I mean, Bob Marley's reggae had definitely a, quite a different vibe. The calypsos had a kind of more innocent sound to them. I never, I mean, the, they were never, the calypsos never left my mind. I was always like aware of them as music that I really liked from my childhood until now. Probably the first time I got recordings was just, I would go to record shops a lot and sifting through the, the used records and finding these old calypso recordings. What are some of the things that you found in those hunts for Calypso music? Uh, I have a record uh, uh, by a guy called Count Frank, a Jamaican, and just he's just singing those uh, you know ubiquitous Calypsos that were done a lot for the tourism industry, the tourist industry. So Yellow Bird, uh, Back to Back, uh, Jamaica Farewell. A lot of it is like are also songs that Harry Belafonte oh. sung, Island in the Sun. And it's actually hard to find. I mean, it, they, those songs have been interpreted so many times. And for the most part, serious artists did not want to interpret them because it was these were like the cheesy tourist songs. Oh. Um, you know, Harry Belafonte is probably the most famous interpreter of these songs. But there were a lot of just small time singers that will get a chance to record and Count Frank was one of them but he had a, had a beautiful voice and, he, and I think he recorded with a banjo a traditional instrument in, in uh, the Caribbean yeah, 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 yeah. 
bass banjo with Caribbean music that I know. Well, it's the traditional, you know, in Haiti it was played a lot, and in Jamaica it was played a lot, Mm -hmm. in like Mento, and I think in in other places too. Do you have a favorite version of Yellowbird now? Hmm. I just remember liking Count Frank's versions of the calypsos in general. And really, I'm calling them calypsos, but they're, I think they're more in the mento style. Mentos, like a, calypso is from Trinidad and Tobago, and mento is, was like a folk music in Jamaica. What are kind of the differences? So Yellowbird falls into... I think a mento, oh. it's a, although it's originally a Haitian song. I don't know what category of Haitian music you would call it. And I've heard a Haitian, so the Haitian version is in Creole, and I forget what it's called, maybe like Tiwazo or something. Does that Um, mean yellow bird? Tiwazo is like a little bird. Oh, little bird. Should I Google it? Sure. So I just Googled, uh, I Googled the the origin of yellow bird. It was composed in Haiti in 1893, and the song was called Chukun. And the lyrics were in Creole, and then it was rewritten uh, in the 20th century uh, as an English version. So that song goes back a long way. Yeah. Uh, The original Creole words are by a Haitian poet named Oswald Durand. A poet? Yeah, and uh, it's a poem about, a lyrical poem about a beautiful woman of that name. So this is a well, this is a version. I think this is the nice sound effect. And I don't like this version. <laughs> Why not? I think it's being she's over singing it. Uh, I've that heard. That doesn't sound like Yellowbird at all. Not the Yellowbird I know. Um. That sounds like a bird. This is a a compa version of. What's compa now? It's a Haitian music. Oh, okay. But I've, and I've, I've heard a, a version sung by a Haitian woman, the Creole version, that's quite beautiful, very beautiful. And actually, when I started first learning to play guitar, one of the first songs I learned how to play was Yellowbird. Wow. Yeah. So this song's really followed you around for your life. Yeah. I'm working now with Bachata, which is music from the Dominican Republic. Coincidentally, it's actually from the same island that Yellowbird was composed on. The vibe the, of the island music is something that uh, I just re- uh, resonates with me. It's kind of called to me, and, and, uh, and that's what I'm working with because uh, it's what I love. You I, just yeah, went for I it. I can't get away from it. Yeah. yeah. In the Dominican Republic, there's a feeling in bachata, in many kinds of music, but it's particularly associated with certain kinds of bachata. The feeling is called amarge. The feeling of amarge, the word literally means bitter, but the feeling is one of like bittersweet. 
And it's a feeling that's in a lot of different kinds of music, but it's certainly in a song like Yellow Bird, uh, where it's sort of like sad and happy at the same time. And I, I remember there was a Senegalese musician I used to work with, a chora player, Lankandia Sisoko. His favorite songs were the ones that were that were sad and happy. Do you remember yeah. some of the lyrics of Yellow Bird? Why is it sad and happy? The lyrics are somebody is singing to a bird saying, uh, you know, did your lady friend leave your nest again? Oh. That's so sad, makes me feel so bad, but you can fly away into the sky today. You're luckier than me. So it's kind of, I mean, it's evoking these I, the, the idea of this bird alone, being left alone, but also being free and being able to fly. The, uh, the man observing the bird, you sort of feel like his spirit is also flying in a way Maybe like the even the emotions that he's feeling, the sadness is kind of making him fly. He's channeling into the bird. Yeah, but it's also I, I mean it's like, like the the intensity of that emotion and I think that's the essence of this bittersweetness is like the intensity of the of the emotion, the same thing that's that gives you that sadness is in a way freeing you from so many things it's freeing you it's it's like making you alive it's freeing you from the tedium of the day-to-day that's one of the things that music is for absolutely i was wondering if you also have any standout memories when yellow bird was sort of the soundtrack of whatever was happening in your life i remember swimming i mean i maybe was like seven years old or eight years old and uh there was a local boy who worked at the hotel who was maybe like just like a young teenager he would take me out swimming and and diving for conch I think maybe he was trying to I think maybe he was trying to get out of of working (laughs) (laughs) I remember him getting in trouble with the hotel was like with his boss he was busy diving because we because he and I were out swimming diving for conch that's awesome do you think you perceived the song differently at different points in your life or does it pretty much kind of evoke the same feelings and atmosphere continuously maybe both i don't think the feelings have changed it's the same feeling i have now with that song as i had when i first remember it would you ever have one of your artists cover it you think i don't think so i mean you never know but there's so many songs to do and that song is had its day and really been explored in all kinds of different ways. Now, right now I'm working on a project of with a number of Haitian-Dominican uh, artists and they're singing bachatas in Creole and reinterpreting some old Haitian compas in Creole I mean, as bachatas. So, for instance, if one of those singers said that they wanted to do Yellow Bird, the the Creole version, as a bachata, I don't know, maybe I would take a listen and see how it sounded. But there's so, I, I, awesome. I'm not particularly, I'm, I don't have any particular desire to record that You're song. You're not gunning for it? No. <laughs> auditioning for Yellow Bird? No. Can you still play the song? Yeah, more or less. Oh, really? More or less. It's been a while, but yeah. Really? Would you like to? <laughs> I don't have a guitar here. Oh, really? That's, that's I mean, that this? one, there's a string Aww. missing. And I'm a little bit shy to have my my voice and guitar playing on the air. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, to our imagination. One of the things that it makes me think about as well is, I mean, obviously, I was this 
a little boy hearing this song. I was from a completely different culture or background from this, where this music came from. Something in me responded to it. I understood the, the emotion if the song was communicated to me. And I understood it, even though what, is, what does a you know, four or five-year-old kid know about anything? Now, you know, I, I started a music school in the Dominican Republic teaching traditional music, the Bachata Academy at, at Dream Project. It's an initiative uh, that I've done in partnership with the Dream Project. And at the Bachata Academy, there are a lot of young kids, and they're playing this music that has very adult themes or adult feelings, have these feelings of amarga, and you hear these young kids, you know, a seven-year-old kid singing a really sad song, and you wonder, where does, where does it come from? How can they know this emotion? to humanity or does music open those horizons well i guess first of all probably just from the time that we're that a person is born i mean even being born is painful cast out into the cold world you know <laughs> so from probably from that point on people have understand the feeling of of nostalgia of sort of sa- of sadness of separation okay well thank you so much for your time because i know you're in the middle of many projects and would you like to let us know where people can find these projects support them listen to some bachata okay so uh, my website company's website is called uh, yaso records i-a-s-o records uh, yasorecords.com we also have a youtube channel yaso records that has a lot of music videos videos of people jamming acoustically. Uh, Gia was just helping me edit a music video. Thank you, Gia. It's it's Thank very you. it's quite risque and, and more so now with, with Gia's input. Let that be enticement <laughs> for potential viewers and listeners. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Gia. Give it up for Ben, who just told us all about the song that ushered in his destiny with the inimitable and rich music of the Caribbean. Ooh, loved it. Benjamin Dimeniel is a producer of bachata, traditional music of the barrios of the Dominican Republic that has become one of the most popular cultural exports of the Caribbean island. He founded Yasso Records in 2001 and has attracted global attention to the DR's vibrant music scene by organizing hundreds of concerts in North America and in Europe and producing widely circulated recordings, compilations, and videos that have received praise from the New York Times, NPR's All Things Considered, the Los Angeles Times, and the Huffington Post. Ben has also established the Yaso Bachata Academy in partnership with the Dream Project for Early Education and Holistic Youth Development for Children in the Dominican Republic. Located on the Dream Campus in Cabarete in the DR, the Academy is the first in the world to focus on bachata, fostering musical excellence and passion among a new generation of bachateros and bachateras. If you type in Bachata Academy in any internet search, it'll bring you right to the website, Facebook page, and other places where you can find out more and easily donate to the program. 
To put it into perspective, $50, what one might spend on a mediocre brunch and drinks in Manhattan, will buy a guitar for a student to use at home and at the academy. So just remember that if you remember how you came by your first instrument and how great it felt and you want to spread the love, consider pitching into the academy. Ben is currently working on a documentary film about the Bachata Academy, appropriately titled Bachata. It'll feature the constellation of characters, teachers, children, artists, and dreamers orbiting the academy, united by a devotion to music as a way of life, and the will to help the Dominican children realize their dreams of becoming bona fide bachateros. The audience will discover the tradition and meaning of bachata and its fight to survive in a world that is rapidly modernizing. Can't wait to see it. Play It Back is produced by me, Jia Jung. And me, John Asante. Our sweet sound owes to engineer Steve Francis here at Stush Studios and to Amos Rose, who made our lovely theme music. Thank you, thank you. And if you're a fan of our work, subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you've already done this, we thank you in advance for rating our podcast highly and leaving a glowing review so other listeners can find us. We're just assuming it's going to be glowing because we love you. Okay, right? Right. (laughs) Definitely. You can also follow us on Facebook at Play It Back and on Twitter at Play It Back Radio. If you're curious about Yellowbird and those who have performed it, there's more at our website, playitbackradio.wordpress.com. Now we got one more thing for you. Have you ever been swept away by music from another realm or found your destiny in a special song? Pitch us your story at playitbackradio at gmail.com. Abur, abur. Adios.